You know, at the fundraiser, those of you who were there um, this year, there's a football. It's signed by a former Rams quarterback. Um, he lives nearby, uh, Jim Everett, great guy. And he signed this football, and I have won this football the last handful of years. It's awesome. And it's signed by this great quarterback, and it's a Rams football, and I have it in a case and displayed. And, and I said to Sharon, I go, honey, we could probably put this prominently in the, in the living room on the bookshelf. And, you know, just, it's such a great trophy. It's awesome. And let's, I, what do you think? And, and she goes, no, no, John, I'm... I think it's better if you, you had that wonderful piece uh, in your office at church. I'm, oh, honey, I'm, no, I really, we could put it in the, no, I really want you to put that in your office at church. She's smiling. She's so generous. And gr- Thank you, honey. I love my wife. So there it is in my office. I was reading about the current quarterback of the Rams, um, Matthew Stafford. And he was asked this question by the interviewer. He's, they said, what is, has been the greatest challenge as a quarterback, as a quarterback several years older than an average player on your team? And he responded simply by saying that I'm having a difficult time connecting and building relationships with the younger players. Why? Well, he went on to say that, well, 10 years ago, they would, when they would travel or they would, after practice or in between games, they would gather together, hang out together. Maybe they'd play ping pong or they'd play cards or they would talk on the plane and all these things. Now he says, we don't do that because we're all on our phones, looking down, doing our social media, texting. I'm texting somebody just across over on the other side of the aisle over there. I'm te- he says, we're so preoccupied with our phones that we have little time to build that relationship. And those relationships and that off-the-field relationship building is what builds trust for when they're on the field. I thought that was interesting. I'm thinking about that in our own faith life and We can get so preoccupied with other things in our lives that we have very little time or awareness of building that relationship with our Savior. Off the field, when it really matters, when the storms hit, we need to develop that trust in our loving Savior. But I don't think the challenge is limited just to NFL quarterbacks. I think we could say that about a lot of things in our lives and about our daily lives and getting preoccupied with other things and distractions. And these distractions just keep us. We have found a difficult time building a relationship with God. And one of the main ways we build that relationship with God is in, in and through prayer. In 1942, a small book was published by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you are familiar with this. It's a fictional story about two demons whose job is to tempt the human from growing closer to God or even believing in God. Screwtape is the elder. He holds an administrative post in the bureaucracy of hell, and he acts as a mentor to his nephew, 
wormwood, an inexperienced and an incompetent tempter, according to this book. As the letters begin, it's the letters from screw tape to his nephew, and he's reminding his nephew on the finer uh, ways and methods of, of tempting humans, keeping them away from God and, and building a relationship with God. Then something tragic happens. So Wormwood is assigned to a specific human, and they call him the patient. And then something tragic happens. The patient that Wormwood is to tempt to keep him away from God becomes a Christian. And so then Screwtape writes this letter, and he says this to Wormwood, my dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. In the meantime, we must make every effort to make the best of the situation. So then he lays out in the, through the book and through the letters that he writes that he wants to keep this patient from acting on this new Christian faith. And the primary concern is to keep this human preoccupied so they have very little time for prayer. Screwtape advises Wormwood on the preventing his patient from engaging from in sincere and effective prayer. By all means, don't let them pray. Disrupt their life. Disrupt their prayer life at all costs. Get him so preoccupied with other concerns that he won't pray. It's interesting, even in C.S. Lewis's day, long before computers, long before smartphones, long before the distractions and preoccupations that we are tempted with, they had them back then too. And I'm convinced the number one enemy to a, a flourishing prayer life or a prayer life is being preoccupied with other things in our life, getting distracted. So what are we to do? How can we battle this enemy that keeps us distracted from our prayer life? Well, I'm convinced that help comes from an altogether another letter that we have available to us. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison, and he's writing to the first century church in Philippi. And you know this passage, and it's one of my favorite passages. But I want you to listen with fresh ears to hear what Paul is encouraging the first century church in their prayer life. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on, he says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if, if there's anything excellent, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned that you have received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. In this passage, I believe Paul encourages the early church 
to apply a handful of methods or steps to help them combat the number one enemy of prayer, being preoccupied with other things, that we become too busy to pray. So there's four steps that we can take this week, that we can develop in our lives. And the first, he calls us to be joyful. Be joyful. Take joy in life. Find the joy in your life, in the lives of those around you, in a life together as a congregation. Find the joy. And he says this, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's calling the church to joy. Be joyful. What areas can you claim joy in your life? A while ago, I visited a longtime friend there in the hospital, and I had not seen them for, for several years because of the pandemic and COVID and complications. Once I walked in the room, I saw my friend, and I was reminded of the joy of this person, the true joy in my friend's face and our friendship. And I was reminded that, yes, all the complications that my friend is having with their health, the uncertainties, the unknowns, the frustrations, the ongoing, the many conversations with doctors and nurses, things that work and things that don't, all these things in the midst of it, my dear friend has this sense of joy. And as we prayed together, as we trusted God, there was a sense of joy in the room. I was reminded to take joy in our friendship and to trust God in the midst of that. Someone once said, nothing great is achieved without joy. Nothing great has ever been achieved without joy. Now, you may or may not agree with that, but it was interesting to me as I thought about things in my life and the good things in my life and the things of our congregation and the things that we've poured our energy and imagination and love into and the great things that we've done here in this community together. There is a deep sense of joy in each one of those things. Nothing great is ever achieved without joy. On Friday night, we had a lot of joy. We were putting together the, the boxes and the packages and all these things that we're going to, the mission fellowship packing night, and we're putting pencils in it, and we're having a great time. And there was joy there, taking joy in that. It reminds us of God's love and grace in our life. There's so many ways to think about the joy we have together. That's what Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And he's saying this, and he's writing these words while he's in a prison cell. He could have said, you know, I'm, I'm caught in this prison cell. It's, the food is terrible, and uh, I'm full of despair, and I, I'm not having, I, I, there's no end to how long I'm going to be in this prison cell. He could go on and on and on and on, but he starts with joy. He starts with joy. 
What joy can you claim in your life that will help you battle the distractions that keep you from praying? Focus on joy, not the distractions. The second thing that he reminds us is be patient with one another. He says, let your gentleness be made known to all. That's an interesting word, gentleness. It means be reasonable with one another. Be a peacemaker. Early, earlier in the chapter, chapter 4, Paul has to call out a couple people because they're having a, a sharp disagreement. Their names are Iodia and Syntyche. I, I tried to name some of my kids, though, that names, and it didn't fly. Nobody in the house wanted this, Iodia and Syntyche. But he pleads with these two, and he says, listen, come to an agreement in the Lord. And he calls upon a friend to help them. It's interesting what he does not do. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't get in the middle of the argument and describe to them what they ought to do. He says, come to an agreement in the Lord. Be reasonable with one another. Be patient with one another. Be a peacemaker. In the current affairs of the world often can fill me with a bit of despair as I listen to the news and worry about what's going on in the Middle East and the struggles and the pain and the suffering that people are going through. And sometimes I, I get in this mode of, I think I know what should be done. And I start acting like I can figure out all these geopolitical issues and it's real simple. Just do this or do that. And, and sometimes I'll even get into arguments with people. Well, what about this? And you know, we'll go back and forth. And it doesn't really help. And I read this quote. I, a Christian writer said this, and it kind of convicted me when I was getting wound up in all this. The Christian writer said, Our opinions and our arguments on world affairs make nothing happen. But... Several times a day, we have chances at peacemaking, praying, and loving that implement the kingdom of God. That convicted me because so many times I get wound up in my opinions and my ideas of what should happen, and I miss out on the opportunity of the peacemaking right in front of my face. And the opportunity to bring a tender word or a sense of hope and being patient with one another and be that peacemaker that is a witness to God's kingdom for us. Be a peacemaker. Be patient. Let peace win over distraction and whatever is preoccupying you. The second is be conscious of the Lord's presence. When Paul says... In another place, he says, pray continually. To me, that means to be aware of God's presence in our lives 24-7, constantly. Author Philip Yancey writes, the words of the, of the prayer that he says are less important than the act of remembering to pray and turning our attentions and our thoughts to God. He will choose a phrase in his day 
from a biblical prayer and repeat it throughout the day. When he has failed in thought, word, or deed, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And he'll repeat that over and over and over in his mind. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Reminding him to pray. When he's spiritually discouraged, he says the phrase, restore unto me the joy of your salvation, O God. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's a word or a phrase or a verse in the Bible that you need to hold on to this week. It reminds you to pray. And it reminds you to be conscious of the Lord's presence in your life. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Why? Because the Lord is near, near to you, near to us. Be conscious of God throughout the day and all that we do. We're cleaning the house after the kids are off to school, meeting with your boss and listening to how they have expectations for your apartment, taking the car back to the shop for the same repair that was the repair of the week before, waiting in a long supermarket line. They're going to get longer now that we're getting closer to the holiday season, and you've got to get somewhere else. Next obligation, paying the refrigerator repair technician a small fortune to keep ice cold. This is life. In the middle of life, be conscious of God's presence Create space for God to work in and through your life and in through prayer. Be conscious of the Lord's presence over the distraction, over what preoccupies you. And fourth, he says, be non-anxious. That is to say, manage our anxiety. Manage our anxiety. Man, again, another conviction of me, managing anxiety in the day-to-day Eugene Peterson translates this passage, and he says it this way. I was reminded of this of a friend. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Okay, we got that. Let petitions and praises shape your worries. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I caught my attention this week. Let the petitions and the worry, let your worries shape your prayers. Honest prayers, prayers that speak about the disappointment you are facing or you're dealing with. Or, God, where are you in the midst of this trial that I'm going through? Or the trial that someone I love is deeply engaged in, a difficult time in their life. God, where are you in the midst of this? Honest prayers. Let your worries and your petitions shape your prayers. Long expected hope. Show up, God. Long expected hope. When heaven seems silent, let those petitions, those worries, shape your prayer life. So, dear friends, the question is to us this week how will we stand firm against the number one enemy of prayer, which I argue is preoccupation with other things that keep us distracted and keep us too busy to pray? Be joyful in all things. Find the joy in life. Be patient with one another. 
be conscious of God's presence. God is with you all the time. And help learn to manage our anxiety. Be non-anxious. Let your anxiety, your petitions, your worries, your concerns shape your prayers.